0: Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Hey there, Jubilee fam. My name is Greg Nelson. I'm one of the elders at the city location here at Jubilee Church. I'm so glad that you are joining us for our second installment in our sermon series, The Psalms of Summer. Have you ever watched your favorite team overcome insurmountable odds to win the championship game? Or do you remember a moment when you really believed it was over for the heroes in your favorite film, yet with grit and determination they seem to uh, find a way to succeed and to win the day, then you are starting to understand the deliverance language in Psalm 34. Honestly, reading this reminded me of game six of the 2011 World Series. Cards, Rangers, David Freeze comes up to bat. He hits a two-run triple in the bottom of the ninth to send us to extra innings. Then to cap off the game and force game seven, he hits a walk-off homer at the bottom of the 11th inning. Boom, the crowd goes wild. David Fries' legacy is cemented in the hearts and minds of the people in the gateway city. You know, the occasion for the pinning of Psalm 34 is this. David, the great hero of Israel, was forced to flee for his own country and go to the uh, city-state of Gath. This was a place that was uh, filled with the Philistines, his natural enemies. At the time, the Israelite King Saul had uh, falsely accused David of a plot to steal the throne and was after David's life. David, knowing that he couldn't stay in Israel, ran and tried to hide among the Philistines, but he was found there. You got to remember, at that time, after David, who had been the champion of Israel and defeated Goliath, they sang songs that went like this. Saul has struck down his thousands, but David, his ten thousands. So when David realizes that he has gotten out of the frying pan and into the fire, he has to think fast. He's brought before the Philistine king, King Achish. And in a a moment of brilliance or desperation, David pretends to be mentally insane. Uh, if you read the account, the biblical description sounds something like a, a psychotic episode, erratic behavior, drooling, um, random speech, paranoid delusions. David is feverishly scribbling on the walls and pretending to, to talk to people who aren't there so that the king will see him and think nothing of it. Uh, in fact, the, the king Achish says, "You know, why are you wasting my time with this madman? Take him away. Now, I don't know if you've seen hard times. I don't know, maybe you lost a job. Uh, maybe you suffered some relationship failure. Maybe you faced bankruptcy, but I doubt that you have been pushed to these limits. Uh, I doubt you've ever had to f- fake schizophrenia in order to save your own life. This is an incredibly Low moment for David, the one who had been uh, uh, prophesied to become king, now uh, grovelling, uh, hiding, and 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 pretending before uh, another king. Yet David is inspired to write this psalm, this incredible song of praise, Psalm thirty-four. How is it that he is able to do that, coming out of this situation? Well. Knowing this background, uh, that will help us as we approach this psalm to to try to mine it for all that it's really worth. Now, the psalms are songs. They're they're poetry. Their structure helps us, and we're going to talk about that briefly uh, before we dive into the depths of the text. Psalm 34 is set up with uh, repeating themes. Uh, There's uh, six sections. I call them A1, B1, C1, A2, B2, C2, and they're related. So um, the psalm starts like this. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name forever. You see, King David, even though he had been the champion against Goliath on this occasion with King Achish, he realized that he needed a champion. Maybe David's deliverance from Achish is that that moment that cements God's glory in David's own mind, in his own life. Well, I know this much. After game six, everyone was extolling David Fries. Even to this day, his praise is still in our lips. But how much greater is the Lord's deliverance? How much more deserving is he of praise? He didn't merely swing a bat in order to entertain us or to win us a trophy of gold and silver. No, he saved us. He found us in the morgue and breathed new life into us. He brought us into his family and grafted us into his spiritual family tree. And so this introduction, this section A1, it's not merely an expression of praise. It is a, a call to worship, encouraging us to join with David and giving God the praise that he deserves, extolling the wonders of our God. Verses 11 through 14, similarly, section A2, are just like it. They are an invitation for us to gather together as a community of faith around a mutual reverence for God. Then we move on to the next section, Uh, We see in verses 8 through 10, uh, this is section B1. Parallel with uh, verses 19 through 22, section B2, these kinds of phrases, these same themes shared in both sections. Those who fear him, that is God, have no lack. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. None of those who take refuge in him shall be condemned. I originally chose this Psalm because it's, it's a powerful declaration of God's goodness, of his trustworthiness, of his readiness to save. You know, the Psalms are full of holy swagger. Who doesn't need a little swagger in their life? When I read this Psalm, you know, I feel I get turned up. I get excited about who God is and what he's doing. And I see uh, the hope and the expectation of God's presence and power in my life rising. I'm emboldened in my faith, and I'm excited at the prospect of what God might be doing. But in preparing to preach this text, I I was unexpectedly confronted with a question. What happens when we don't see these promises in our lives? What, What do we do when the Psalms feel like they're filled with promises for everyone else but me? Or worse yet, what if we feel that we've waited so long for God's deliverance that To read this Psalm feels like a mockery, feels like a weight reminding us uh, that we are still in the depths. I wanna acknowledge those who have trouble connecting with this Psalm. I want to give a shout out to that experience. I think it's important for us to consider. Sometimes maybe reflecting on these spiritual realities does meet you with joy but at other times they feel hollow. Maybe you're <clears throat> after, after a year like 2020 and even the beginning of 2021, you know, you're thinking the Lord's deliverance is just, it's just coming too late. Or maybe you're a skeptic. You're not, not even really sure about faith yet and you're not sure if you really buy into this uh, the Lord saves kind of uh, business. It's okay, I want you to know that it is okay for us to be honest about our struggles and our doubts. Personally, the Bible really respects your realism. Sadly, you know, a lot of modern American Christianity maybe overlooks that or, or glosses over the, the realities of life, but the Bible is raw and honest and straightforward. It doesn't sugarcoat pain, hardship, brokenness, struggle, it's all throughout the pages. The, the majority of recorded events in the Old Testament center around some difficulty, whether it's illness, wandering, war, famine, death. The New Testament, most of the New Testament letters are written to people who are suffering, pe- written to churches under persecution, addressing issues of class strife and racial tension, false teachers and division, theological crises. So you might be right to pump the brakes and not just go running around dancing and stomping in the sanctuary, especially if you've had a week where you've been taking your lumps or a year for that matter. So how can we approach Psalm 34 and emerge from it strengthened in the midst of our trials rather than burdened because we don't immediately feel what David feels I wanna suggest to you three things, three Ps that will help you engage this psalm. Three things that will help to propel you forward in faith. Number one, praise. Number two, pursuit. Number three, preservation. So first, praise. Notice again how this starts. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It's striking, isn't it, that David is so bold in his declaration. I will bless the Lord. When? All the time. When the sun is shining and when the rain is falling. When I'm at the top or when I'm at the bottom. When I am in the front or when I'm in the rear. David has decided in his heart that he will praise the Lord, that he can praise the Lord. David is a person who has been in all these places. He has been on the mountaintop and he has been in the valley and he knows that praise is possible. But I think he knows more than just the possibility of praise. I think he knows the value of praise. He knows that God is deserving of praise. And But beyond that, David is getting riled up. Verse 2, he says, his soul is boasting. He's not just giving mental assent to the goodness of God. No, his, his soul is engaged. He is emotionally connected to this. I mean, think for a moment in your life. When have you boasted? What did you boast about? A new car, a new job, a personal accomplishment, something uh, that your child did on the sports field. Whatever you're boasting about, how did it make you feel? Did it leave you feeling mm, indifferent, meh, disconnected and disinterested? No, you can't boast without being emotionally invested in the thing about which you're boasting. World Series, Game 6, Walk Off Homer. We boast about what we love. C.S. Lewis makes this point. He says this, he says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. And so David naturally invites us to join him in the enjoyment of God. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. We, like David, need to make praise a regular discipline in our lives. The enjoyment of God is actual critical nourishment for our souls. What this does not mean is that I have to feel good all the time. David certainly didn't feel good when he was standing before King Achish. He also didn't feel good in 1 Samuel 30 when his wives were kidnapped and his men were threatening mutiny. Let me read to you from that text. Verse 3, and when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire. That's their homes. And their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. When was the last time you cried yourself to sleep cried so hard you didn't have any more tears to cry david and all his mighty men are over here crying like babies snot running down their faces they didn't have kleenex back then they're being raw they're honest they're broken they're open nothing is hidden they're not pretending they're not putting on airs are you willing to be real with god at your lowest points? What do you do in the critical moment? Do you let it all out with your closest friends, bearing your soul unpolished, unfiltered, and undignified? That's how David did it. Then the scripture says that when his boys turned on him, when his stress level was at the max, when his next move was life or death, says David grabbed his noise-canceling headphones, threw on some Hulu, and was just vegging out. Shaking off the haters. No, that's not what the text says. It says David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, how do you think he did that? I think he did Psalm 34. Oh Lord, my wives have kidnapped. My friends have turned against me. I have no more tears to cry. I want to die right here. And my friends want to make it happen. You, only you can deliver me. You were near to me, the brokenhearted. You save me, the crushed in spirit. Friends, whatever you do, don't, don't read this psalm and think, man, David had it all together all the time. I got to be like that, you know, with a smile on my face, put my best foot forward. No, this psalm is not about putting on airs or putting on a mask. This psalm is about wielding the weapon of praise so that God can lift you out of the pit. Praise will, will save you from pride at your greatest moment and praise will save you from despair in your lowest moment. Let me say that again. Praise will save you from pride when you're on the mountaintop and praise will save you from the valley in the lowest Thank the Lord for his blessings all the time. Second, pursuit. Psalm 34 is both full of theology and theopraxis. Theology is knowledge about God, but theopraxis combines the word theo for God and praxis, praxis which is practice. It tells us how to live authentically in relationship with God. And then it tells us about this God who we're approaching. In sections B1 and B2, verses 4 through 7 and verses 15 through 18, we hear about a God of action. It says about God, he answered me. He gave me shine. He made my face radiant. He took away my shame. It says, he heard me and saved me. He is near to me and delivers me. He is looking at me and he is listening to me. He delivers. From this Psalm, we learn both what God is like, you know, what we can expect from this eternal one who has uh, never changed, who's been present throughout the ages. But we also learn we also learn about the one who receives these wonderful blessings. Here's a hint. The person who experiences God's deliverance is not self-reliant and uh, capable. They are not the person who believes in God's sovereignty, but you know, just assumes the blessings are coming. You know, God's deliverance, according to Psalm 34, it's not like my Amazon subscribe and save order that automatically arrives every month. I don't have to think about it. No, it says here that the person who God saves seeks, looks, and cries out to God. God's deliverance isn't to be assumed, but it is to be sought. The picture of this person is like this. The text describes them. I sought the Lord. Those who look to him are radiant. This poor man cried and the Lord delivered him. Those who fear and revere God and the righteous who cry for help. The scriptures say, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jesus himself tells two parables that are meant to encourage us in our seeking. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up then in his joy, he goes and sells all his possessions and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Sounds kind of tiring, doesn't it? But the promise before us is that when we seek, we shall Find Find something greater than treasure, greater than pearls. We will find the God who saves, the God who delivers, the one who will lift us up, who will turn our face and make us shine. David testifies to this in verse eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. This blessed feast that we can taste, is an outpouring of God's grace, but it's only available to those who are searching for it. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Third, preservation. Psalm 34, for all its wonders... Honestly, it ends a bit awkwardly. You know, if I had been writing, I would have ended with verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous and the Lord delivers him out of them all. Boom, microphone drop. But we have verses 20, 21, and 22 to consider. So verse 20, what is this mention of bones? It seems like it comes totally out of the blue. Well, the book of Exodus chronicles God's great act of deliverance for the nation of Israel, pulling them out of slavery in Egypt and setting them apart as his chosen people and giving instructions about the Passover lamb. The scripture says this, it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of its bones. Preserve the bones. Then in John's account of Jesus' crucifixion, fast forward. When they came to Jesus and saw that he had already died, they did not break his legs. For these things took place that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Quoting Psalm 34. David is prophetically foreshadowing for us Jesus in this Psalm. Whether David knew it or not, the Holy Spirit inspired him to put in this little Easter egg for us for those of us who would eventually believe in Jesus. But why? Well, there are a ton of promises in this Psalm. And as we've mentioned, some feel too good to be true. Make no mistake, I have seen a clear pattern of the Lord's faithfulness in my life, but I don't think that I can really say I have been delivered out of all my fears or that I have never been ashamed or that I lack no good thing. It is clear that we live in an imperfect world marked by strife and turmoil, and I'm certain that we all have some fears, some shame, and some lack. But the final encouragement of this psalm for the Christ follower is this mortal life is not the end not the end of the story. The end of our psalm is whispering to us hints of God's resurrection power. Let's consider a few things in turn. First, Jesus' bones were not broken. Just one of the many ways in which he fulfilled the uh, prophetic requirements to be God's perfect sacrifice, the Passover lamb. Two, Jesus, the true Passover lamb, was sacrificed so that we could have his righteousness we could become the righteous person that David is referencing in Psalm 34, the one that the Lord saves. Why are the eyes of the Lord toward us to, to hear us when we cry? Because of Jesus' righteousness bestowed on us. Jesus, three, has traded places with us. God did not respond to Jesus' righteous cry on the cross so that he could respond to our now righteous cries. For help, And four, after three days in the tomb, Jesus was finally delivered. Not delivered from death, but delivered through death so that he could pass into resurrection life. And we, like him, will do the same. Therefore, those who place their faith in Jesus can taste and see God's goodness in this life. But it's a taste, a foretaste, not a complete experience. Yet through death, we are all delivered through death into an experience where all of our afflictions have been removed and we have been brought into resurrected life where we will have no lack and no shame. Reading verses 19 through 22 prophetically changes the way we understand them. Verse 19, through the resurrection, we, God's righteous people, are delivered from all of our afflictions once and for all verse 20 god's preserved christ's bones proof that jesus is the sacrifice that satisfies his anger and his wrath and has transferred his righteousness to us 21 those who are outside of christ will be judged but verse 22 those who are in christ will experience the redemption of the lord the redemption of our bodies the redemption of the entire creation in a new heavens, a new earth, God's perfect heavenly kingdom. So I end with this. These last sections are an encouragement to us not to lose heart in the face of prolonged trials. Psalm 34 is is a spiritual check that will not bounce. You can take it to the bank. When you read this Psalm, rejoice in every little act of God's deliverance in your life. These are foretastes of his great deliverance. But if the promises seem too good to be true, remember, some of them are for now and some of them are for later. But the reason that you can trust that God will bring blessing, that he will be near to you, that he will deliver, that he is listening to you, that he is drawing near to you, that he is saving you is this, that Christ is God's Passover lamb. And in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. Jesus has secured Psalm 34 for us. So I know that I know that I know that I know. I will look to him and he will make my face radiant and I will never be ashamed.